Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I'm glad that you're here. Um, no introduction. Take out your Bibles. Turn them on, whatever it is you do. Open or click. Romans 12. We'll go back to the two verses we've been working through. These last. This is the third of a three-part series. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've been able, if you've missed any of them, they're available through our website, um, both to watch or just to listen to through your podcast. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We dealt with reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. By way of introduction, for just to catch us up, um, the book of Romans is a great book. I, I just, if you're looking for something to study, if, if your reading plan has run out, uh, let me suggest the book of Romans. Just a wonderful book. And these two verses... Um, in the entirety of the book, these two verses are like, a, are like a hinge on a door. Paul, for 11 chapters, Paul's been writing. Um, now, they weren't chapters when he was writing them. He was just writing a, a letter. And, and he, he just, ex, with, with such clarity and, and expertise, he, he records and writes the doctrine of salvation, of, of the gospel. He he. he Really, from the beginning, he goes back to the beginning of time and, and walks through from Adam and then to Abraham and then to, up to Christ and up to us today. The, the book of Romans is as relevant today as it was the day Paul penned it and as far as instruction for the church. And he does this deep dive um, on what it takes and what it means and what it took and what God did when we, say, when we talk about salvation how many here are saved? Okay, now, so we come now to chapter 12, all right? Chapter 12, these first two verses are, are like the hinge. The door, Paul's opening a brand new door, and we're stepping into a new room. And from verse 3 to, through chapter 16 is, is a how-to. These two verses are, are setting the stage He's been talking about what salvation means. Now he's talking to those who are saved. And he's saying, now this is how you succeed at it. This is how you do it. This is what it looks like. This is how you walk it out. See everything God's done and made available. Now this is how you accomplish it in your life. So he's really talking about sort of like in two verses, he, he explains the, the core of discipleship. The, the core of what it means to, to walk and follow Christ, to, to walk with the Lord in, in, in these two concise verses. And, and we've been unpacking it. Um, live your life as a, uh, give your life as a living sacrifice. The, the, he makes this appeal to, to those who are falling after Christ. He, he makes an application. That was our second message about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, that we don't conform to worldly fashions any longer, but through Christ and our, and our relationship with him, we're being transformed into a new being, not just a change of behavior, but a change of, of a actual being. And now he gives us a third piece of instruction, which brings us to our 
message for today. I want to talk to you for a little bit about the advantage of discipleship, the appeal, the application, and now the advantage. Um, one of my favorite quotes in, in, in life, I guess, is A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think that's just a great line, and it's worth memorizing. Worth thinking on for a moment. What, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And for Christians, if we want to even narrow that down, what comes into a Christian's mind when we think about God most common is, what do you want? God, what, what do you want of me? We ask a question about the will of God. That, that's predominantly in our minds and in our hearts uh, when we think about God. Is God, God, what do you want? Why, why am I here? What, what is it I'm supposed to do? You created me for a purpose. I need to know what that is. We're, we're always seeking, and, and it's a right thing. We want to know the will of God. It, it, and that question appears in, throughout our life. And throughout our journey with him, um, it, it's an advantage to know the will of God. Amen? How, how many of you think that that's a, that's a plus? If we could know the will of God, that, that's an advantage. We're on to something. Now, a little bit of a foundation. When we talk about the will of God, we have to keep a couple of things in mind. Number one, we have to always remember we are finite beings trying to grasp and understand an infinite being. Very important we keep that in mind, because sometimes we want to think that we know all of God. Sometimes we want to think that we have it all figured out. Spoiler alert, you don't. Sorry, but you don't. And if there's error, if there's misunderstanding, if there's a lack of, 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 of knowledge in, in some area, if there's something missing in the, in the relationship, it's on our side of the equation. It's always on our side of the equation, no matter how much you understand God, no matter how long you've walked with God, no, how many, no matter how much how you've experienced with God, no matter how many encounters you've had with God, as wonderful as that all is, the conversation's not over. There's more. There's always more of God. There's always more for us to learn about him. There's always more of his will unfolding in our lives. So my encouragement is just, just keep, stay the course, keep growing. Keep reaching, keep stretching, keep, keep pressing in. God wants to be known. That's the good news. God doesn't hide from us. He doesn't keep himself from us. But sometimes our perception of him is what always needs to be changed, always needs to be adjusted, needs to stay open for realignment. How many of you would admit, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want, that there are some times where when we think about the will of God, there's sometimes where it doesn't seem to be as clear as we'd like it to be. I've had all, those, all kinds of those moments. There are some things in my life right now that I wish I had a little clarity on. I wish I understand a little bit more of, of what's in the heart of God, of what, what's in the mind of God. So we want to talk today about this thing that we call the will of God. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, I pray that you open our hearts as we open your word, and I pray that you reveal and you speak your will to us. 
individually, corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, general rule as you study scripture, just a general guideline. It can't mean to us now what it didn't mean to them then. All right? Now, th- this morning, I actually was looking over my, looking over my notes. And if, if there's grammatical error, missing, things missing in that statement, I apologize. I kept reading. I said, I don't think this is right. I think there's supposed to be a comma somewhere or something. I, I don't know. So you English majors, forgive me. And you figure it out, okay? And let me know after, and I'll correct my notes. But, but the truth of the statement is what I want you to get. All right? It can't mean to us now what it didn't mean to them then. Language is different. Language is, we're, we're, we have our Bible in a language it wasn't written in. And languages um, change, and, and definitions change, and nuances of words change continually. So as we go into our study today, and it, it's, it's an important foundation, I want you to do your best to listen with ancient ears. It's really important that we try to hear our text for today through in the way that they heard it then, not the way we may hear it today. It's a small point. It's an important point because when we, okay, let's start here. The will of God. How many of you know that's religious language? We don't use that language anywhere else. Right? We, we don't apply that in life only in church. Only in, in a religious context. It, you know, Brother Bob's back there. He loves to go fishing. If Bob invites me to go fishing and I go home and I to tell my wife that I think I'm going to go, I don't say I'm going to go fishing because it's Bob's will that I go with him. I'm not going to say that. If, you, if you've raised children or if at some point in time you were a child, kids don't get up in the morning and approach their parents and say, oh, lovely father and mother, what is your will for us today? <laughs> It'd be great if they did. Right? We, we don't use this language. We, we don't use the word will the way the Bible does. And, so, and the word doesn't mean the word didn't mean to them what it means to us now so we're we have to sort that out if we're going to really catch hold of what Paul's trying to teach us and tell us it wasn't the phraseology wasn't strange in their ears when they heard about the will of God or God's will but it meant something different to them than what it means to us We're comfortable talking about the will of God or using that phraseology here. It applies here. But what we hear isn't necessarily what they heard. And we have to take a moment to look at that. See, to us, when we hear the will of God, or if we just talk about, let's back up a little bit. If we talk about a person's will, all right? If we're talking about a person's will, first of all, what do we think? We think legal document. Do you have a will? You know, we think um, if you do anything medical, at some point in time, they're going to ask you, do you have a living will? Do you have a living will? Have you spelled out? Have you, have on, have you made a, created a document that gives all the instruction, whatever? 
We, that's where our minds go almost reflexively when we talk about, if we say, let's talk about your will. What we're talking about, a document. Now, if we specify and say, well, we're talking about human will. All right, now we, that's different. Now, in our minds, we hear and we think we're talking about now a human, our human capacity to choose. Our, our ability to make choice, to, to be decisive, to, to make a determination. We're talking about the intention of our heart and of our, our mind when we talk about our will. You're here today because you chose to be here today. Right? You, you made a choice. That, that's called your will. And then there's God's will. And when we talk about and think about God's will, we're talking about not only his capacity to will, but we're talking about his right to will, his right to choose. We, talk, we, think, we think about his sovereignty. We think about his, his position and, and, and his uh, divine right to command and to decree, his, his right as sovereign God to, to place um, standards and expect, expectations over our lives. And that's what we hear. And that's not, all, that's not wrong. I'm just saying it's not really how they heard it. All right? So to them, when they heard the will of God, that word that we translate will meant something different. Um, first of all, there's more than one word they used for will. You know, like, like in the Old Testament, you know, we talk, we translate certain words, praise. We use praise a lot. Well, in the Old Testament, there was what? Seven, at least seven different words each with its own definition, its own nuance. And it was much more specific. We say praise. They broke it down into specific kinds or expressions of praise. But in interpretation, we have a much broader hearing of the word than what they did in the New Testament. Um, the word love. We have one word. Scripturally, in Greek, there was at least eight words of different kinds, nuances, expressions of love. So that's part of the confusion. So we have to look at our hearing. Now, when it comes to this word will, in the Greek, they use primarily two words, bolomai and, and thelema, okay, for, as the will of God. Um, I, I'm not going to drill down deep into those, into those words. It would take too much of our time. Just know that bolema is, uh, bolomai is, is a, a stronger sense they both sort of mean the same thing, but Bolomai has a stronger sense of the same meaning uh, as, as Thelema. And both carry the same idea of uh, desire, pleasure, wish. That's what they heard when they heard the word will. Even applying to God, specifically. Talking about the will of God. They're talking about divine desire, divine wish, divine pleasure. Okay, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little tweak, but it's an important tweak. While we hear divine choice and command and requirement, they heard divine de desire, pleasure, preference, longing. We think of God's will as a, as a product of, reg uh, of regulation. God wills, establishes, and regulations is what come out. Rules is what comes out. They think of God's will as a product of relationship. Came from a different place. It's talking about something different. While we hear command and obedience and surrender, 
they, they were hearing in their ears covenant, adoration, honor, because they heard it as relational, not as regulation. Do you see a difference? I hope you're picking up on that difference. Why, why is that important? In my mind, it, it's because it personalizes the will of God. When we hear it the way they heard it, it personalizes the will of God. It makes the will of God much more intimate, much more him and you, much more relational. It removes the impression that God sits in heaven with a secret that he calls his will. And he's sitting there watching and, and sort of judging us to see if we can figure it out, to, to see if we can... We can um, pick up on the right hints and clues and, 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 and figure out what his will is so it is we know what to do. There was, back in the early 80s, there was a, a track that came out. That's when we did tracks. Remember gospel tracks? There were little pieces of paper. <laughs> and, and it was called The Four Spiritual Laws. Um, and I'm not diminishing or... or you know, in any way being negative about gospel tracts. And, and many lives were touched and even souls went into the kingdom because of this, this track, because it, it started spiritual conversations between people. But sometimes, and a lot of times, what, what ended up happening, because the track became very, very popular, um, Christians would take them and just sort of hand them out and, and leave them places and, you know, put them in mailboxes or on car windshields or, you know, um, if you gave out tracks or if you still give out tracks, let me give you a piece of advice or a request. If you're going to leave a gospel track at a restaurant with a tip, first of all, with a tip, okay? Secondly, make it a really good tip. All right, that's side. That's that was outside the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, but here's this track, right? And it starts. There was four laws. First one, that, that God has this wonderful plan for your life. Last one, you need to be saved and know Jesus so that then you can know this wonderful plan for your life. And there, there was a couple key pieces in between. But, but it, it presents. Now think of the person who reads this. And there's no conversation. There's no one with them to help explain or fill in the blanks, right? There, what, what impression would you have? It, 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 it is, as inviting it was as, as it was intended to be, it really could be very intimidating. Yeah, it, 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 that, that, there's this God, there's this being in heaven, this all su supreme sovereign being in heaven, and he has a predestined will. He has a pre-designed plan for your life. That's a little scary. That's a little overwhelming. And it's a wonderful plan. Now, the problem is, if that's true, you're sitting there scratching your head saying, I don't have a clue what that is. I don't have one clue what what's he's expecting of me. What, what on earth is God's will for my life? And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So he's dangling the carrot. Do you understand? That... that it, Okay, then I, I think it's Colonel Mustard in the library with a rope. And we, we have to try to figure it out. And, and some would come to the conclusion that, well, if it's predetermined, why do I even need to try? 
I just live my life. The, the will of God, we hear it in different ways than it was written. And that it was intended to the audience that heard it first. Also, as Christians, we apply what, what the word of God, will of God means in our lives differently. There, there, I thought of three primary ways that, that I know of in, in my conversations and working with people. Um, that, that sometimes we think God, the will of God and we reserve it for big stuff. You know, the will of God and, and we really want to know and seek the will of God for the big stuff in life. You know, what college should I go to? Who, who should I marry? Should I marry? You know, um, what career path? Sh- should I buy the, the house? You know, we, we, we look at the will of God and we reserve it sort of like for the big things in life. Like God, that's the stuff God really cares about and that's where he gets involved. Everything else it just doesn't matter. There are some who, who think about the will of God and, and their thought process. It's simply this. It's like, well, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I do the right stuff. I, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I give. I serve. I do all those things. And so they, they have this, this macro view of the will of God and that because of all that, everything I choose is the will of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. So everything I choose I'm, I'm, is the will of God for my life. And then there's the other side of that. There's more of a, 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 micro, a micro view of, of the will of God where, where it, it's almost crippling or paralyzing, where people think that, no, God's will applies to every single minute, minute detail of my life. There's Christians who didn't make it to church today because they couldn't hear God on if they should have had eggs or oatmeal for breakfast. They're still waiting at home trying to figure it out. See, we do a lot of things with this will of God because of the way we think of it, because of our understanding of it. Let, let me give you my simple understanding at this point in my life about the will of God. The will of God is an invitation to walk with him. In fact, I can broaden that. Almost everything God does, salvation, justification, sanctification, Adoption. Everything God does is an invitation to walk with him. Because if you really want to boil down the will of God to a, a, central, a central thing, a foundational thing, it's woven throughout Scripture. It's not a secret. He didn't hide it. He put it everywhere in his book. It's expressed through all over generations of time through a host of different authors that, that the Spirit of God inspired to write and, and pen this thing we call our Bible. It's, it's, what, is, what is God's greatest then? Desire. If that's what the word will means, desire, pleasure, wish. What's God's greatest desire? What's his strongest wish? What's his highest Pleasure. What's the greatest intent, the ultimate intent of God in the earth since the beginning of time? Why even time began? What is it? It's not. That's a big buildup. It's going to be a little anticlimactical because you know this. I will be their God. And they will be my people. That's it. That's it. And it's everywhere in Scripture. And understand 
That's not a command of his authority. That's an expression. It's a desire of his heart. The will of God. The will of God is built on that is the will of God. Starting in, in, at the beginning. God started this whole thing with a man and a woman. He gave them the ability. He said, be fruitful and multiply because he wanted a family. He wanted a people for himself. That they would be his people and he would be their God. And it continues on from there. He goes to Abram and he gives him a promise and he says, no, you're going to have a son, even though you don't think you can. And he promises him a son for a purpose so that through you, many nations will come because my desire is I want to have a big family. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. And this theme is repeated over and over and over throughout Scripture. Here's just a few of the references. I can't, I can't take time to read them all, and I, and I won't. But you'll find some of them. Exodus 6.1, 29.45. Leviticus 26.12. Leviticus 26.45. Numbers 15.41. Psalm 57.81.10. Isaiah 41.10. Ten. Jeremiah, there's a whole bunch of them. Ezekiel, there's even more than Jeremiah wrote. Hosea 12.9, Zechariah 8.8, Joel 2.27, 1 Corinthians 6.16, Hebrews 8.10. It's all throughout Scripture, this repeating theme, this repeating will of God out from the heart of God. We can go to the end of the book. We can go to Revelation, the 21st chapter. And I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be, there, be with them as their God. Do you get the point? I said, do you get the point? What is the will of God? That he would be our God. And we would be his people. The will of God is relational, not regulation. You can't find the will of God through a formula. If you have a book or you have a Bible study that says, here's five easy steps to knowing the will of God, get rid of the book. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The will of God's not academic. There's, you know there are scholars who have studied God and, 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 concern, and he would certainly include the will of God. And they don't even, they don't, their conclusion is they don't know God. There is no God. Academics, intellectuals, brilliant men and women have studied. There's others who have, are theologians, but they don't have an active relationship with God himself, with Jesus himself. They just know a lot. They, they just understand a lot. The word of God's not doctrinal. Listen, you may be able to sit down and expound on your doctrinal prowess. You may be able to give chapter and verse for all these different doctrinal statements in Scripture or in your personal lives of what you believe. But yet you could still not be able to recognize God's voice when he speaks to you. Because God's not, his will isn't found through doctrine. It's not, it's not how he, he operates and reveals himself. God's will is, is not an external discipline. It's an internal revelation that's done in our heart from his heart 
as a result of our walking with him, journeying with him. It's personal. It's individual. It's intimate. It's intentional. It should be daily if we want to grow in this thing. There was a, an, an author I read, Lynette Woods, who, who, who wrote this I thought was good. As humans, we try to get what we want by controlling and manipulating people, whether through our words or our silence or our actions. And then our enemy tries to control us and manipulate us through fear. But God, even though he's God and could control us, instead, he loves and hopes. He hopes for a response. He waits for a response. He longs for a response. And he loves us regardless of our response. God is unlike anybody you know. He's like any other person that you know. The new covenant, all that God accomplished through Jesus is an invitation to walk with him. Our call to discipleship is an invitation to walk with him. So we come to our text. You thought I forgot about the text, right? Not, not yet. Paul says this, that it's in the walking with him that we'll be able to discern, to test and discern what the will of God is. He didn't say by memorizing all the rules. He didn't say by living up and performing to right standards that you'll know the will of God. He says that it's by walking with him. It's this life that he has defined in verses 1 and 2, the first part of 2. He comes to the conclusion, if you live this devoted life, if you'll live this life that, that refuses to conform to the world and culture around you and pursue God, that then it's through the, the, you'll be able to test and discern the will of God. Now, understand, when it, when it uses the word test, He's not, it's not about God testing us. He's talking about us testing God's activity in our life, learning, walking with God, and learning as we walk, journeying with him, and learning about him more and more as we journey with him. Every day coming before him, every day spending time with him, every day talking with him, every day listening to him. And in that, we get to know him better and better. And he starts revealing more and more of himself. We start seeing him bigger and bigger and clearer and clearer. See, discerning the will of God in your life isn't an isolated revelation. It's not just like, oh, suddenly, oh, something happens and now I understand the will of God. It's not that isolated moment. It's the, the, the discerning the will of God, testing and discerning the will of God. It's the accumulation of a hundred revelations that you've had as you've been walking with him. When the disciples started walking with Jesus the first day, they didn't know a lot. After year one, they knew more. After year two, they understand they were a lot closer. It's the accumulation of our journey with him. It's, it's observing and comparing how God has shown himself in past circumstance, in past situations. It's, it's recalling. The Holy Spirit will recall to our minds the things that Jesus has told us and taught us and shown us about himself along the way. It's, it's recalling what his voice sounded like in past moments and circumstances and situations and bringing that up into your current situation and circumstance. 
And in that, you have this, this library this, this of, of, of history with him, which helps you to understand clearer today in your circumstance what he would want. What would his desire be? What would please him most in this next decision that I have to make? This testing and discerning the will of God is, is the fruit of knowing him. So it's not by living up to things or rules. It's walking in relationship, developing intimacy with the living God of the universe. It's knowing him as your father and letting yourself be his son or be his daughter. Joseph, you know his story and his life. You recall all the path that he took. We're we're towards the end of his life now, and he makes a statement, probably the most memorable thing he said, where he's talking to his brothers, and he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, can I tell you something? Joseph didn't know that when he was a young boy bragging to his parents and to his brothers about the dreams he had. He didn't know that then. He didn't know that when his brothers were so mad at him that they sold him into slavery. He didn't know it when he was in Potiphar's house and suddenly was in charge of everything. And he didn't know it when he was accused of rape falsely and found himself in prison for 13 years. He didn't know it when a close friend that, that he had interpreted dreams for and, and got out of prison and promised to tell the forgot about him. He didn't know when he was finally taken out and interpreted the king's dream and was suddenly found himself ruler of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. This is, this is older Joseph. This is mature Joseph. This is Joseph who's walked with God for a while, who's journeyed with God for a, a number of years. And he's learned about this God of how he thinks and how he feels and, and, and what the desires of his heart and purposes of his heart are. This is Joseph who's learned through both struggle and victory. High times and low times. This is Joseph who by testing could discern the will of God, who said to his brothers, it's okay. I don't have any problem forgiving you because I see a bigger thing here because I know the heart of God. You meant it for harm in that moment. God had a bigger picture, and it was all good. It was all good. God's will is always good. It's always acceptable. It's always perfect. Paul said that. I didn't. The disciples, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you, you know, they scattered. They're afraid. They're hiding. They're fearful. They're, they're, they're confused. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're discouraged. They're all these different things after Jesus died and even after he rose they still weren't out there much but now it's the moments after Pentecost and now everything's changed they're out in the open they're bold, they're loud they're, they're boisterous they're, they're addressing the crowd. They're preaching in the city. They're defying the Jewish leaders. What, what on earth happened? What made the difference? Well, because their walk with Jesus was no longer external. 
See, that's how they knew Jesus. For years, those three years they journeyed with Jesus, it was an external thing. They watched him, they saw him, they heard him. But now he's gone. But his Holy Spirit comes, and now the life of Jesus isn't with them. It's in them. Do you hear that? His life is now in them. There's something alive in them that wasn't before. The Holy Spirit came and baptized them into the life of Christ and guides them into all truth. The Holy Spirit came and connected the dots. Now suddenly they understood, they saw things clear that when Jesus taught this, this is what it meant. We thought it meant this, but this is what it meant. Because their hearts and their eyes were opened. Everything that he said and did and taught along the way as they journeyed with him now had this bigger picture because he was in them. He was, he was now residing inside of them. Peter stands up and he says, this is that which the prophet Joel told us about. Peter never knew that. Peter never understood that. He didn't know it before. But now, because the life of Christ was in him, because this relationship had been perfected through the coming of the Holy Spirit, now Peter's able to test and discern the will of God because of this connection. The will of God isn't seeking God and saying, what what job should I take? It's walking with him so close. It's being in harmony and relationship with him so close that it's not him telling you what job do you take. It's, it's you taking the job that you know is in his heart for you. It's a little difference, but it's a huge difference. It's not asking who you're supposed to marry. It's walking with him daily so close. It's, it's surrendering your life to him and getting to know his heart and his moods and his feelings and his thoughts and, and, and his emotions so that whenever that person is introduced into your life, you'll know that that's the person that God would have for you because you know the heart of God. See, great, great marriages aren't two people obeying the rules. It's a husband and a wife who, who are walking with Jesus so close that they can test and discern how to please him through how they operate in their role as a husband or wife. It's always relational. Parenting, friendship, being a churchman. It's all built off of this relationship. The will of God is relational before it's anything else. I, I need to have you stand with me so I can stop this thing. How many of you would agree now, you agreed at the beginning, do you still agree that discerning, knowing the will of God is an advantage? I said, do you know that? It's an advantage in life. Because if we don't think it's an advantage, we're not going to go after it. If we don't think it's an add to our life, then we may be a little lackadaisical in really pursuing it. And the heart of God is saying to us today, the pursuit is what he wants to get through to us. That the pursuit isn't by memorizing more. There's nothing wrong with memorizing. It's not going to church more, though you should. 
It's, it's not reading your Bible more, but that's, you're welcome to do that. And I hope your appetite for the word of God continually is grow. It's pursuing him. Not things about him, not doing things for him. It's building a relationship with him, just like you build relationships with other, with people. Building a personal relationship with the living God. It's out of that you'll be able to test and discern the will of God in those moments and situations and circumstances and decision, times of decision in your life. His will will always be elusive to you if you're listening for a decree. His will will always be a little murky, a little dark, a little unknown. It's easier if you walk with him where, and you just know his desire. It's a lot easier if you just know his desire. It becomes a lot easier to know what to do then in those moments. Testing and discerning his will isn't looking for what's in his hand. It's looking for what's in his heart. Do you know we sell ourselves way too short and we limit our lives if we just go after what's in God's hand? Because what I've found is usually what's in his heart is more than what's in his hand. And I don't want to ask God for two if in his heart there's ten. <laughs> I'll let you think on that. King David could say, I delight to do your will. How could he say it? Because he was a man after God's heart. Because he knew God relationally. He didn't just know God as the authoritative sovereign God who gave decrees and commands. He knew him relationally. And so now his commands weren't commands. They were his delight. They were David's delight because of the relationship that he had. The Bible says that God showed Israel his acts, but Moses his ways. Why? What's the difference? Because Israel said to God, show us your power. Show us your provision. Show us your protection. While Moses said to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And here's a wonderful thing. In Moses seeking God's glory, he got all the rest. If we'll seek God's heart, you'll get everything that's in his hand. And more. Here's something worth writing down. The closer you get to God's heart, the less you'll have to ask about his will. The closer you get to God's heart, the less you'll have to ask about his will. If you'll learn his desire, you'll know his direction. If you learn what pleases him, you'll know what path to take. The God of the universe comes to each and every one of us and says, I know you and I want you to know me. What an invitation. What an invitation. Are you, are you struggling with some area of your life with the will of God, of really wondering what God wants? Stop looking for a decree or a command from heaven. Stop looking for a list of rules to live up to so that he'll figure out, he'll do whatever you think you want him to do just press in just, just say God I, I want to know your heart that's all I just want to know you 
I just, I let go of all the other stuff. I just want, show me you and pursue him. You can't just make that prayer and go away. You have to pursue him. If, if you're going to have a good human relationship, husband and wife are going to be close and, and enjoy all the benefits and, and fullness of what marriage can and is designed to be. They've got to be in each other's face. They've got to be in each other's presence a lot, continually. They got to be on each other's mind all of the time and trying to find out how they can please the other one the best, which means they have to get to know them so they know what pleases them. God gives us that invitation. What a great God. So I'm going to pray. And if there's an area, any area of question or struggle or you have in some time of decision, or maybe it's, this is just a moment for you to say and, and refresh in your own heart to his heart. God, I want to know you more. Show me more of yourself. Show me more of yourself. He, he, he's listening for that prayer because at the end of the day, he just wants to be your God and wants you to be his child. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. I pray you take the simplicity of this truth today and I pray you seal it in us. I pray you magnify and make that seed fruitful in our lives. I pray, Lord, that from today forward, every time we even hear the phrase or talk about it, the will of God, we see it and hear it differently with a new understanding, a fresh understanding, an expanded understanding that we're really talking about just our walk with you and an intimate, close relationship with you to learn your heart and your desire, to share with you our heart and our desire. And out of that, relationship together we'll be much more equipped to live this life and to move and choose and act properly because it's in you it's in you we live and move and have our being so father seal your word today bless your people fill them with your love your joy your peace i praise you send us from here send us a little more transformed a little encouraged in you I pray that we, as we face a brand new week ahead of us, Lord, we, we devote it to you. Let us live this week with you, through you, and for you. And show yourself more to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Take time to greet one another before you leave.